I had just started working there. It was an assembly factory for lawnmowers. There was a rumor that I had a secret admirer, and I brought the parts around to the different assemblers. She was gorgeous. I got a lot of parts, huh? Yes. <laughs> and we suddenly found ourselves under the table holding hands. Well, holding hands under the table. <laughs> Not under the table, <laughs> holding hands. <laughs> he makes me laugh. He still does. But it's nice. New liquid soft gels from Nature Made. The newest way to feel your greatness. Welcome to A New Earth. Awakening to Your Life's Purpose, a worldwide web event. A New Earth is sponsored in part by Nature Made Liquid Soft Gel Vitamins, the newest way to fuel your greatness. Okay, hi everybody. Welcome to class number nine of our New Earth web series. We're here with author Eckhart Tolle, number nine. We're counting down. We're down to the last two chapters of our book, and it is my most sincere hope that all of our classes so far have been leading you to find more purpose and joy in your own lives. And uh, tonight's class, tonight's lesson is really about bringing clarity to finding your inner purpose. And uh, so I, I think this is my most exciting chapter of all. I know I say that every chapter. I didn't say that last chapter, and I'll tell you why in a few moments. But before we begin um, the class, I'm going to let you lead us in our, our moment of silence or moment of silence today. Good. So um, we're already familiar with the silence that we start with. Mm -hmm. And um, this time I'd like to use a very short, very powerful line from the Old Testament. And I believe that this will be especially helpful for those Christians who are not quite comfortable with silence and somehow feel that silence is not compatible with Christianity or Christian teachings, which is not the case at all. Perhaps it has been overlooked mm -hmm. in the past couple of centuries in Christianity, but it is certainly compatible. And so this is one of my favorite lines from the Old Testament, and that can take us very powerfully into stillness. And this line is, be still and know that I am God, meaning God is found precisely in that inner stillness, through the realm of inner stillness that you can reach what we call God, but which nobody can understand through the mind. It's the mystery, the mystery which you cannot really explain or name, which we call God. This is the depth of that. We touch that when we go into stillness. So these beautiful lines point to that inner experience. So I'll say it again, and when I've said it, we just become still for a moment. Be still and know that I am God.
All right. I love that. That's one of my favorite Bible passages. Yes. Actually. Yeah. That and lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Yes. Well, today, uh, tonight, we're discussing chapter nine, your inner purpose. Finding your purpose is what I believe we're all put on the planet to do. So many people spend their lives, you know, trying to figure out what job, what job to do, what to do, what to do, what to do. I think when you figure out what your purpose is and you align the outer purpose with the inner purpose, then the job really doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. That's, Very true. that's the essence of what yes. you're saying yes. in this chapter. Um, let us begin page 257. As soon as you rise above mere survival, the question of meaning and purpose becomes a paramount importance in your life. Many people feel caught up in the routines of daily living, you say, that seem to deprive their life of significance. Some believe life is passing them by or has passed them by already. Others feel severely restricted by the demands of their job and supporting a family. Some are consumed by stress, lost in frantic doing. Many people long for the freedom and expansion that prosperity promises. Others already enjoy the freedom that comes with prosperity and discover that even that's not enough to endow their lives with true meaning. There is no substitute for finding true purpose. Mm -hmm. So how do we do it? Now, what you just read basically, of course, means that many people spend their lives in a state of almost permanent dissatisfaction, right. unfortunately. Uh, so they may be looking for some purpose, or they may have given up hope that there is some purpose for them, and they're just surviving mm -hmm. or making a living or caught up in the doing. Caught up in the doing, uh, in the stress of it. Right. And so usually when we talk about purpose, when people talk about purpose, they think of purpose in terms of future. Where am I going? What am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. What's the direction I'm going? What is my goal, the goal that I want to achieve? And that, of course, is there. It has its place, but I call that the outer purpose. More fundamental than the outer purpose is what most people usually overlook, and that is the realization that what matters most is finding your inner purpose. Now, to most people, that initially doesn't mean anything, inner right. purpose. And this is why I explain it briefly in the dialogue that is there in that chapter, where somebody asks about, I want to know what my purpose is, and I tell that person, your purpose is to be here at this moment and asking that question, because right. this is where you are. So inner purpose is aligning your life fully with the present moment, so that you are no longer out of alignment with the present moment, which leads to the state of dissatisfaction that we talked about, that is the reality for many people. Mm -hmm. So you have to go, first of all, beyond the state of dissatisfaction that is so many people's reality. Right. But you cannot go beyond the state of dissatisfaction through some future goal that says, one day I would like to be in a state of fulfillment or satisfaction. No, you have to enter the state of fulfillment and satisfaction by becoming one internally with the present moment. And the, your purpose then, your inner purpose, is that alignment with where you are right now, to be totally where you are and whatever you are doing, even if it doesn't look like your, the life purpose for the, that you right. want for the next 30 right. years, 
Right. Whatever you are doing now, to be total in doing it, and no matter what it is, to be true to life by being true to this moment. Yeah. As you say on page 271, there is always only this one step. And so you give it your fullest attention. This doesn't mean that you don't know where you're going. It just means that the step that you're taking right now is primary. The destination is secondary. And what you encounter at your destination once you get there de depends on the quality of this one step. I love this so much because I discovered this when I was in the third grade. I couldn't articulate it this way in the third grade. But when I was in the third grade, I turned in a book report early in this driver's class. And the reaction that I got from my third grade teacher taught me or informed me that when you do your best, when you do your best in any given moment, that is well received. Because my third grade teacher told all the other teachers in the teacher's lounge, and I became known as this kid who really loved to read. And that's why we're sitting here today, <laughs> because of that. But I learned in the third grade this whole process of whatever you're doing in any given moment, if you do it your best, it leads you to the next best moment. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about what's the next moment coming if you only do your best in this moment. That's right, because when the next moment comes, it comes as this moment. Right. Uh, the future. You never experience the future as the future. You experience the future when it comes as the now, because that's all there is. That's all there ever is. And that's an amazing realization for people to realize life is always just this. It's always the now. Yeah. It's interesting, because and last week we had Nick from uh, the Bodhi Tree, and you, you said, to, and when Nick was up talking about, uh, he had to, well, you have to worry about your bills. And you said, well, you don't have to worry about You have your to bills. pay your bills. You have to but... pay your bills. <laughs> but you don't have to worry about yeah. paying your bills. I don't know about the rest of you, but that lesson has sort of been with me all week. So anytime I'd find myself, you know, in the mind worrying about something, I, go, I don't have to worry about this. I can either figure out what to do about it or re release that thought. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So if the bill is here, but the money is not there right now, I can't do anything, put it aside, and put then see what action can I take now. And then you do whatever action you can take now. Yeah. If you can't, can't take any action, then you just be with it. Yeah. Right. But I love that when I read that there is always only this one step. And so you give this one step your fullest attention. That's in the middle of page 271, everybody. And this doesn't mean you don't know where you're going. It just means that this step is primary and the destination is secondary. And what happens is most people are living their lives as though the destination, the end, yes. the well, end is what it's all about. Yes, as if the end were more important than, than uh, the means. Than means. And so the means and the end, however, are one. Right. So if there's a dissatisfaction and a denial of the present moment, which is a denial of life, right. you're not honoring life if you don't honor this moment by being open to this mm -hmm. moment, then that is how you will experience the future, because the future is no more than an extension of now. Right. You also say on page 271, the unconscious assumption behind all such action is, is that success is a future event and that the end justifies the means, but the end and the means are one. You say that. Let's say you're a business person. After two years of intense stress and strain, you finally manage to come out with a product or service that sells well and makes money. Success in conventional terms, yes, but in reality, you spent two years polluting your body as well as the earth with negative energy. You made everybody crazy. <laughs> I don't say that. <laughs> you made everybody and everybody around you crazy. 
and affected others you didn't even know. The unconscious assumption behind all of this action is that success is a future event and that the end justifies the means, but the end and the means are one. And if the means did not contribute to human happiness, neither will the end. Yes. So whatever the end result is, it's going to carry the energy of what it took to get there. Yes. That's it. Yes. Yes. That's exciting. Yes. And that means you actually, you, you determine what kind of future you're going to experience by deciding to be tot totally aligned with the present moment. That's right. It's your, it's your state of consciousness now that will determine whatever is manifested yes. in the future. And when that happens, that'll just be now. Yes. I got that. I got that very much. Okay, so let's, let's continue with this lesson before we go to Ivy a little bit. You say the true, pur true or primary purpose of your life cannot be found on the outer level. To me, that's the essence of what this book is all about. Everybody who's searching and waiting for answers and looking for it on the outer level, it does not concern what you do, but what you are. That is to say, your state of consciousness. So the most important thing to realize is this. Your life has an inner purpose and an outer purpose. Inner purpose concerns being and is primary. Outer purpose concerns doing and is secondary. You want to elaborate on that? So. Once you realize that the primary purpose of your life is, this, is the inner, mm -hmm. and this is what becomes the main purpose, then the secondary purpose, the outer purpose, falls into place. By being true to life and being true to now, life will bring to you whatever is most appropriate as far as your inner purpose is concerned. Life will become helpful. Suddenly, sometimes the helpful idea comes from within, a sudden realization, oh, this is what I want to do, this is what I have to do. Mm -hmm. But the, the realization only came because you were aligned with the present moment. So let's say this, everybody, everybody who is born, is alive and breathing, has an inner purpose. Yes, the inner purpose is the same for all of humanity, which is, being aligned with life, saying yes to life by saying yes to now, aligned with the power of the present moment, which is the power of life. That's everybody's purpose. Then the outer purpose varies from person to person. How that translates into what you do mm -hmm. varies from person to person, and even in one lifetime it can vary. You may do, uh, you have a certain outer purpose for 10 or 20 years of your life and suddenly it changes completely. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that, that varies and is subject to time. It doesn't necessarily last your whole lifetime. You say finding and living in alignment with the inner purpose is the foundation of fulfilling your outer, outer purpose. purpose. It's the basis for true success. Without that alignment, you can still achieve certain things through effort, through struggle, through determination, and sheer hard work or cunning, but there is no joy in such endeavor and in such endeavor and it invariably ends in some form of suffering. Yes, that is you're struggling to make it. You're struggling and fighting and basically you're making, you're fighting against life or the world. Me against the universe is what the ego, how the ego sees it. And isn't it sort of like swimming upstream? I always compare it to swimming upstream when you're like going against the grain of your life. There's a flow to all of our lives. 
And if you are suffering, if you are in pain, if you can't figure out what it is you're supposed to do, if you're worried, worried, worried all the time, it is because you're going against the flow or the grain of your life. Yes. It means you're going against inner purpose. Yes. That when you align with inner purpose, everything flows. Yes. Yeah. And, and in negative and state, whenever negativity arises and you, yeah. you dwell in negative inner states, then you're you're not going with the flow of life. You're right. against the flow of life. Yeah. And then you experience life as not helpful. You experience life as even as hostile because you are in a state of inner denial. You're in a state of negativity. You're not open to life. Okay, I got that. I really got that. I really got that. Another friend of mine, a teacher uh, who wrote a book called Seed of the Soul, Gary Zukov calls yes. it, says, when the personality or ego comes to serve the energy of the soul or consciousness, we, we've been calling that, when the personality comes to serve the energy of the soul, that is authentic empowerment. I take that to mean from Seed of the Soul that when you align your personality or use your personality, to serve the inner purpose, yes. to serve the soul or the consciousness, then you are your most powerful yes. in the world. Yes. Yeah. And then you are not run by the mind anymore because the mind becomes the servant of what I sometimes call awareness mm -hmm. or presence. Mm -hmm. The mind then serves something greater than itself, which is the consciousness. You say on page 259, instead of being lost in your thinking, when you are awake, or aware, you recognize yourself as the awareness behind it. Thinking then ceases to be a self-serving, autonomous activity that takes possession of you and runs your life. Awareness takes over from thinking, and instead of being in charge of your life, love this, everybody, instead of being in charge of your life, thinking becomes the servant of awareness. Yes, and then the mind is quite helpful. So the mind can be used for many wonderful things right. when it no longer controls you. I got it. So in essence, our goal on Earth as human beings, these spiritual beings in the body, higher consciousness inside this flesh-filled, membranous, whatever, body, our goal is to allow the light of inner purpose or consciousness, consciousness. to come through yes. everything that we do. Yes. This is why we're here, and that is then also the entire universe is, the purpose of the universe, one could say, is the flowering of consciousness. It right. moves towards more and more consciousness. Okay. So we then become bringers of that, which is why we are here. So then the, the consciousness, you could call it the light, mm -hmm. the light of the source, the light of God, comes through the human form. That's right. And so when you allow the light of God, the light of consciousness to come through you, and it is allowed to fuel whatever it is you do, whatever it is you do will be fueled with a spiritual power that will allow you to be the best at what you do. Yes. Okay. And, and then that also means that what you do is not of primary importance, but how you do what you, you do, do is what matters, mm -hmm. how you do it. And you could be doing something that the world would regard as relatively insignificant and yet make an enormous difference to the consciousness on the planet. Ivy is Skyping Hi. us from her living room in Richmond, Virginia. Hi, Hi. Ivy. I hear you Hi. have a question Hi. about uh, one of my favorite quotes. Go ahead. What is the question? Yeah. 
Well, my question deals with trying to find a career path that merges your inner purpose with outer purpose. And on the top of page 274, you say, Eckhart says, there may be a period of insecurity and uncertainty. And he goes on to say that if you're able to live with uncertainty, even enjoy it, um, yeah. you, you become comfortable with uncertainty. Infinite possibilities open up in your life. And my question is this. I'm 26 years old. And in the past few months, I've tried to find a career path that merges my inner purpose with my outer purpose and haven't really been able to do so. I began to think a lot about my life's purpose and question whether or not I would ever find a career that merged my life's work with something I was passionate about. So my question really is twofold. The first is, how should I approach finding a career that is fulfilling but doesn't strengthen my ego? And secondly, and perhaps the more pressing question for me is, how do I do this while also becoming comfortable and embracing the uncertainty that's defining my life right now? Good, Good question. Yes. So to what extent have you become successful in embracing and accepting at this time of your life that you don't know yet what your purpose is? To what extent are you able to say, well, see, can I become comfortable with not knowing? Have you been able to do that? I, there are periods where I've been able to, but mostly it's just a lot of thinking and feeling very uncomfortable about not knowing. Yes, and often the uncomfortableness are certain thoughts that go through your mind that tell you that it's not okay to be in this state. Mm -hmm. And then you have certain emotions which are the body's reaction to those thoughts. So you, when these thoughts arise, they tell you it's not okay, the way you are right now is not okay. Realize that these are thoughts that arise in your mind, conditioned, by the surrounding culture and so on. And you don't necessarily need to believe in each thought that comes and tells you it's not okay not to know what to do. Life is an adventure. It's not a package tour. When you travel, you can take a package tour and everything is already planned. There's no uncertainty. <laughs> and every year you go to a really nice hotel room, a more exotic country, but you won't even know it's exotic because your hotel room is the same as every other hotel room. You're totally sheltered, but everything is planned. You know beforehand where you're going to be in 10 days' time, exactly. That's not an adventure, and it's unlikely that you are going to evolve internally through a trip like that. Mm. But if you went into a true trip into some exotic country, thrown back on your own resources, then you would encounter true adventure, but all, and, and you would probably not be the same person when you come back. Why not? Because we are constantly faced with uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to accept that, you can actually enjoy the adventure. If you cannot accept the, it's, I'm giving this um, analogy of a trip because yes. life is a journey. Yes. And so the person who cannot enjoy the uncertainty when adventure comes is going to be in a continuous state of uh, negativity or fear. I don't want to be here. I'd rather be at home. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So realize that life is an adventure. And part of the adventure of life is being in that state that you are in now. If everything were already clear to you now, everything were already mapped out, there would be no evolution of yourself as and, a human and, being. And may I say, Ivy, that is part of what being 26 is all about. <laughs> that, is, that is what 26 is. You're trying to figure it out. That is. Yeah. 
Yeah, that and is what the 20s are for. Yes, and, and another very uh, helpful thing to remember is one of the um, most wonderful things it, in your period of life is to make mistakes. Yeah. Because mistakes means you realize, oh, that's not, that wasn't my purpose. Yes. And so you're a little bit closer to your true purpose. And then perhaps you think, oh, baby, that is my purpose. And then you, after a while you realize, no, that's not. And it's very helpful to make mistakes because gradually you begin to realize what it is that is right for you. Yeah. And many times, uh, as Eckhart says in this chapter, Ivy, and you will find in your 20s, the 20s are about figuring out where you want to be, and there's this frustration. That's why they call that show The Young and the Restless, because there's a restlessness <laughs> about it. Uh, and I know that because I've kept journals since I was 15 in my 20s. Oh, I'm just restless, restless, restless. And when I was your age, 26, I was an anchor woman in television uh, doing the evening news. I hated it every single day. And what I now realize, and even then, uh, my dis displeasure with being in that place every day was really informing me what I needed to do. What I needed to do was to get out of that space. And many times, being in a space that you can clearly identify as this is, I do not want to do this. I want to be in television, I knew, but I do not want to do this. And you know, and I had my, 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 my father and everybody around saying, you're gonna give up that job in television? I knew I could not do that. News felt uh, exploitive to me. So many times if you're in a position where you know it's not what you don't want to do, isn't that also helpful, Eckhart? Oh, yes, yes. Um... For a while, I thought my life purpose was to be an academic in the, mm. at university. And then the sudden realization, after years of spending time working hard to become a professor, I realized that's not my life purpose at all. I had to, but I had to go Didn't through that. Didn't you give that. up a promising career as yes. an academician? Yes, a prom I gave up the PhD, I gave up the promising career, and uh, my relatives, my mother thought I was insane. Mm -hmm. to give that up, but I knew this is what I had to do. It was so clear, there was no doubt about it anymore. For a little while there was doubt, and then the realization was so strong, I had to walk out of there. And that led to a period of uncertainty for a few years. I didn't know what am I supposed to do with my life. Here I am, I was just barely managing to survive, and gradually I lived, but I was not unhappy. I, I was happy with the present moment mm -hmm. then already. And then gradually, something evolved. People started asking me questions. People that I met casually in parks, casual. And gradually, a kind of spiritual teaching started to happen. And after a little while, when somebody called me for the first time, oh, you are a spiritual teacher, I said, oh, that's what I am. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the purpose came by itself. It came just out of that state of just being with what is, and not being unhappy with not knowing, mm -hmm. being at ease with not knowing. Mm -hmm. Then it's much more likely to come to you when you're at ease with not knowing. So the question that you can ask yourself, can I be at ease with, with not, not knowing? Because what you say on 274 that Ivy had mentioned earlier, you become comfortable with uncertainty, infinite possibilities open up in your life. And it means when you become comfortable with uncertainty, uh, it means fear is no longer a dominant factor in what you do and no longer prevents you from taking action to initiate change. That's the big thing. Yes. Because as long as you are afraid, 
you cannot allow the energy of what is supposed to happen to come into your life as long yes. as you're afraid, right? Yes, the fear right. blocks that. Yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, be alert and watch your mind to see what kind of thoughts it produces. Feel also there may be the emotion of fear, as Oprah says, mm -hmm. arising occasionally, associated with a thought. Which like what's going to happen to me? Yes, because the mind wants to know what's, what the future is going to bring, but how dread life would be, how dreadfully boring it would be if you knew already what's going to happen. Well, part of that is because, too, uh, people get afraid because of, again, what Nick said. What, Nick is our spiritual teacher this way. Because of what <laughs> Nick said last week about worrying about your bills because yes. you're, you're living outside yourself. You're creating more debt, creating more debt, creating more debt, uh, allowing yourself to, be, to operate from the thinking mind. Yeah. Uh, at the time that you made these decisions for yourself, you were living on, and practically, you said, at the poverty level. Yes. So. Yes. And so you survive somehow, you mm -hmm. make it. Uh, one more question before you go. Is there anything in your life that, that you truly enjoy? Are there certain things that you enjoy doing that may not be necessarily associated in your mind with career? <clears throat> not really that I can think of, nothing I can think of. Okay, then what's left, what's left is for you to enjoy the present moment and yeah. make that your spiritual practice. Yeah. Okay. But I thought you were saying earlier, Ivy, about, you know, trying to align your passion, what you love, and getting paid for it. Isn't that what you were talking yeah. about earlier? Well, something I was passionate about, to align something, to align what I'm passionate about once I figure that out. <laughs> I don't really know what that is right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I will, I, to, to reiterate uh, something that uh, Eckhart was saying last week, it doesn't come out of your head. For everybody who's looking for that answer, for the purpose of your life, or what should I be doing, it does not come from your head. It's not something that you're ever going to think up. No. You don't think it. It comes from that space that we opened tonight's session with, being still and knowing that I am God being still and allowing the, the presence of a universal energy, the presence of consciousness to come through you in such a way that it's a feeling. It is a feeling. It is not something you're going to think up how to do it. And you will just, uh, you, will, you will start to feel that I feel better doing this thing than I feel doing the other thing. It's a feeling that comes to you, not... Not, not something that comes in your head, That's correct? right, yes. And you need to be careful that you are not in a state of dissatisfaction, because right. when you're in dissatisfaction, it's, the answer is not likely to come, neither right. from within nor from without. So be, keep your inner space clear, aligned with now, so that no negativity arises. And then may I add also, for you and everybody else who's trying to get this whole idea of purpose, uh, some clarity about that, when you allow yourself to be still with it, you're not afraid of the uncertainty. The, the universe rises up to meet you. The world, Eckhart says in here, I can't remember what page in this chapter, but he talks about how uh, coincidences happen. Yeah. You know, little things and big things happen. So you then have to be alert and paying attention to your life so when the opening shows itself, you're ready. Yes. Yeah. That, and that's much more likely to come when you're in a state of clarity, aligned with now, then the answer can come from within or the answer can come from without. Right. As some a chance encounter 
something you see in the paper or, right. so, or something you can't even think where it might come from. It's a synchronistic event, a coincidence. Right. It shows itself. Yes. That's right. Yeah. In ways that you hadn't seen before. Thank you, Ivy, from Richmond, Thank Virginia. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. So you say on 261, while you're perhaps still waiting for something significant to happen to your life, you may not realize that the most significant thing that can happen to a human being has already happened within you. The beginning of the separation process of thinking and awareness. Which is the awakening, which is another way of, of explaining what the term awakening means, that before your awareness or your consciousness was totally identified with thought processes, with thinking. But now, and this is the case for everybody who reads this book and finds it meaningful. Right. It means if you are reading this book and you find it meaningful, something within your response, it means you have already begun to, to awaken. awaken. Yeah. If you haven't, the book will be meaningless. Got it. <laughs> Got it. You say, as long as you are unaware of being on 263, you will seek meaning only within dimension of doing, the dimension of doing, and the future, that is to say, the dimension of time. Whatever meaning or fulfillment you find will dissolve. Invariably, it will be destroyed by time. And meaning we find on that level is true only relatively and temporary. Yes. So you're saying looking outside yourself, you're not going to find the meaning. No, that's right. Yeah. So let's go to the Beaudetree Bookstore in West Hollywood. Is Nick there tonight? <laughs> well, Nick, step on up to the microphone. <laughs> you're back. So glad to see you. Good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You have a question tonight? Um, I do. And um, actually, uh, my question... Uh, kind of relies on a premise that's not exactly stated in the book, uh, but the premise is God is love. And if God is love and you love what you're doing uh, as far as a career, then God, does God then sanction that career? And is it then meant to be? Uh, is it right? If, uh, let's say, if you don't go to church, but if you enjoy doing something like reading, uh, and if you're reading constantly and, and you get a more spiritual feeling from reading, than ever walking into a church, then isn't that, isn't that right? Isn't that in alignment with, um, or is, is love not anything that matters in a career choice? Oh. Well, good question. Now, love, of course, is used in a very loose sense. It means so many different things to different people. And the expression, I love this or that, or I love doing this or that, is used casually by people, often meaning totally different things. For example, if somebody is obsessed with what they do in an ego way, totally focused, but in a negative way to a large extent, uh, totally f obsessed with what they are doing, uh, and they an outside observer might say, oh, he loves what he's doing. He loves it so much that he gets up at five every morning and doesn't go, leave, doesn't leave the office until 10 at night. But he's totally obsessed with what he's doing and there's no love in it. It's an obsession. But in a, in, because love is used in such a loose way, sometimes we call that love. Mm -hmm. So when you actually love what you're doing, it's a totally different energy field that moves into what you are doing. It means you're aligned completely with what you do. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, then you do bring a different consciousness. You bring the unconditioned consciousness 
into this world through whatever you do. And it might be a doing or it may just be being somewhere. You mention a church, you can find God in many places. Every, any place is holy. And the present moment, when you only pay attention to it completely, then you realize actually it's sacred. The present moment is sacred. When you really, when you really bring attention to it, and then it doesn't matter where you are, you can be in a building, you can be out in nature, you can be in the middle of a traffic, and you really bring your attention to this moment, and you realize there is a sacredness here. Mm -hmm. You may be able to feel it more deeply when you're out in nature than in the middle of L.A. freeway, but even there, it can be sensed if you are present enough. And there, that's love. There, lo love arises. And if you're doing something, and you're total in what you do, not obsessed, not wanting the future more than you want the present, mm -hmm. but totally wanting the present, totally wanting what you are doing, then, yes, then you love what you do, and that is true love. And anybody who embodies that energy is creating the new earth. And so that's so, correct, then? Yes. If there's a difference. I, I guess I'm thinking of Joseph Campbell, where he talks about following your bliss, mm -hmm. and he talks about how uh, appetitive desires like uh, eating and sex and drugs, things through the body, loves that come through the body, are nothing compared to the love that comes from the spirit, which um, makes everything else pale in comparison. Yeah. And that is the bliss that Joseph Campbell talks about. Yes. And that's that's what I that's what I think you mean yes. uh, when you say that we are present and we're doing what we're supposed to do because we feel that feeling that makes everything else pale in comparison. That's right. um, yeah. Nick, that's what he's talking about at the bottom of 261. So while you're perhaps still waiting for something significant to happen in your life, you may not realize that the most significant thing that can happen has already happened within you, the beginning of the separation process of thinking and awareness. When you take yourself out of your head and take yourself out of the doing, 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 and allow yourself to connect with the consciousness or spirit or soul, whichever word you want to use for it, that is connected to all consciousness. Mm -hmm. The spirit that is connected to the greater spirit is what he's talking about. Yes. And, you and, got it, Nick. Nick, uh, <coughs> it's a lot of hard work. What <laughs> <I say? laughs> Nick, listen, I didn't worry this week because he's told you not to worry. Have you been worried about your bills this week? Um, no, he just Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> oh, it's a uh, tree. Uh, uh, one more thing, when, just to add to this. When the doing, when you're doing in that uh, state of consciousness, that means whatever you do is not primarily a means to an end. Correct. But an end in itself. Right. You know what you want to achieve through the doing, that's fine. But the essence of the doing is in, 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 in the doing not the goal that you want to achieve through it. So often the question you can ask yourself is, is what I'm doing right now primarily a means to an end or am I total in what I do? And there's a different quality flows into what you do when it is not just a means to an end. And that is doing in the state of presence and different energy flows into that. I love that. We're at the bottom of 263. 
You say, for example, if caring for your children gives meaning to your life, because everybody's looking for meaning, yes. what happens to the meaning when they don't need you anymore and perhaps don't even listen to you anymore? If helping others gives meaning to your life, you depend on others being worse off than yourself so that your life can continue to be meaningful and you feel good about yourself. If the desire to excel, win, or succeed, I'm at the top of page 264, everybody, uh, at this or that activity provides you with meaning, what if you never win or your winning streak comes to an end? Making it in whatever field is only meaningful as long as there are thousands or millions of others who don't make it. So you need other human beings to fail so that your life can have meaning. I was going to ask, though, what if you're making it, you're aligned with your purpose? Yes. Now, after that, it doesn't yes. say that those things should not be pursued immediately after what you just read. Yes. It says, I'm not saying here that helping mm. others, <clears throat> caring for your children, or striving for excellence in whatever field are not worthwhile things to do. For many people, they're important. In the end, though, you say it means you should connect them to your inner primary purpose so that a deeper meaning flows into what you do. Yes. For yeah. example, then, if, for example, we talked about looking after your children and th that being the main purpose of your life. Yeah. And again, we have the two dimensions of purpose. Outer purpose, which is what a good parent does anyway. Right. You look after the needs of the child. What right. you, into, you protect the child as much as possible. But is the inner purpose there also? Which the inner purpose is there when a field of awareness arises between you and the child, there's a space. Are you able to give the child spaciousness or space? Are you able to be open and listen to the child in non-judgmental way? Are you able to be with be. your child? Are you able to be with your child? Or are you lost McCarthy in was doing? Is it continuous doing? doing? Yeah. Or can you bring being into your relationship with your child? And if you bring being in, that is you're fulfilling the inner purpose. And, and then when the child grows up, it's less, much less likely or improbable that you will get attached to your role of parent. You will then be able to let go of the role and then be... be and then able to be, be whatever you need to yes. be in any given situation. Yes. All right. You say, if you ignore your inner purpose, that's why I keep reading from the book, because I think I want to stress how important it is to connect your inner purpose. If you ignore your inner purpose, bottom of 264, no matter what you do, even if it looks spiritual, the ego will creep into how you do it, and so the means will corrupt the end. The common saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, points to this truth. So in other words, not your aims or your actions are primary, but the state of consciousness out of which they come. Fulfilling your primary purpose is laying the foundation for a new reality, a new earth. Doesn't that mean that it's not just what you do, but it's the intention behind what you, which, which you do it? Yes, the, mm -hmm. the consciousness that flows into what you do. And uh, there's no future is always secondary in the doing. That is the your future is, is not that you look forward to primarily, but totality in what you do, being totally here. Any performer, any artists know this very well. Uh, I, can you be, when you're total, then a completely different energy arises. That's right. Uh, I sometimes, I, I, you see, in, uh, when the moment the artist performs, sometimes there's uh, an empowerment that suddenly comes in, because then, it's sometimes only then that this person can be absolutely total in yeah. the present moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. 
I was with Tina Turner and Cher this weekend. Yes. The show that we're doing on May 8th. Everybody don't miss that, Tina Turner and Cher. And watching them in rehearsal, you know, sitting in the, uh, you know, we're just all sitting in the bleachers and watching. And, and then when they each came to the stage, something happened where there was like, uh, they were infused by something from, an, from another level yes. that, that you could see. Yes. Something came over them yes. on the stage. And whatever that was, this is so interesting, watching them perform, and I heard you say, I want some of that. <laughs> I want some of that. And what that is, is the, is the presence or yes. level of consciousness that they're bringing. Yes. Not just the beat and the rock and roll. No. no. And, and that's also what people respond to. They go yeah. there because they can sense there's something there that is very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. Inspiration and enthusiasm. Yes. Yeah. And yes. you say when the combination of inspiration and enthusiasm, something happens that's bigger than one person. Yes. Yeah. So Gwyn and Bob have spent the last 17 years teaching at schools on U.S. military bases throughout Europe. They now live outside Munich. Uh, Germany and are Skyping us from their kitchen. Hi, Gwen and Bob from Munich. Hi. 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 Hello to you all. It's the middle of the night there, early morning. What's your question? Yes, um, well, my question's about apologizing. I'm reading on page 258. You say the most important thing to realize is your life has inner and outer purpose. And I have found that um, apologizing when it's um, the right time helps me get back in alignment. However, when I've been wronged by someone, I expect to hear that apology to help build the relationship and get it back to a positive way. Um, and I like feeling comfortable around others. And when there's not closure and not and apologies don't come, I feel very uncomfortable. And I'm beginning to wonder if this is my ego at play and how can I maintain an inner and outer alignment when I don't feel I've had an appropriate apology from the person I expected it from. Well, you just answered your own question, really. I'm going to let Eckhart <laughs> answer it, but you just answered your own question because you just, key word here, appropriate. I've not received the appropriate apology from people. That would be your ego that needs that appropriate apology. Take it away, Eckhart. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. <Good>. Tolley. <laughs> and adding to that, uh, of course, the ego, another thing the ego does, it keeps accounts and it says, you owe me. Yeah. And in this case, of course, it says, you owe me an apology. Now, yeah. this is good because this is an opportunity for you to become aware of the ego in you. So whenever the ego arises and you recognize it as the ego, it's a great opportunity of saying, oh, there's the ego. There's, there, there are the thoughts that the ego produces in my mind which say, he should apologize. She should have apologized. And another thought that comes, I can't be comfortable with this person anymore unless he or she apologizes. Mm -hmm. So you can observe the thoughts that the ego produces and you can observe the emotions that are there as the result of those thoughts. So it's a wonderful opportunity for you to see your own ego which is no more than the human ego. It means there's anything wrong with you. Right. Uh, but to observe the ego in action, this is always the greatest thing. To, and then at that moment when you become aware of this kind of thought, emotional, mental, emotional pattern in you, who are you? When you recognize it, you're already in the space of awareness from where you recognize it. And you take away its power. You diminish yes. its power. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. And so people, there are many reasons why people don't apologize. People don't apologize because they may not even know that there is anything to apologize in their view of things. Mm-hmm. Or they may not apologize because their interpretation of what's happened is the complete opposite of your interpretation. And perhaps they think or their ego thinks that you should apologize. <laughs> or, <laughs> or... I like to think I do. <laughs> And other, I, I, other, I get it. Yeah. But also, that's how you're using it, based on what you're saying. You, you, based on what you've just told us here, it's your ego's way of feeling uh, superior because you like to yeah. think you do, and you're the one that goes and says, "Well, I apologized, and you didn't." Or, yes. or you can keep a resentment inside for quite a while, and in a resentment, whenever you think of that person or you meet that person, there's a little resentment at the back, which is also the ego. The resent- ego loves hanging on to resentments. And when resentments go on for a long time, as I've described somewhere in the book, yeah. they become grievances. Right. Grievances are heavy, long-term resentments. resentments. So you can observe that in yourself and, again, uh, be happy that you are observing, able to observe the ego in you. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do that. And of course, if and then another person, the other person who is not apologizing, perhaps it's their ego who prevents them from apologizing because the ego, in many people, this is not a particular function perhaps of your ego, but in many other people, the ego finds it almost impossible to apologize because it believes that it would be losing something by apologizing, which of course is a delusion. So these things happen. It's a wonderful opportunity for you to see your own ego, and by seeing it, realize awareness grows in you. That's right. Bob, what's your question for Eckhart? Yes, on page 265, Eckhart refers to your external purpose becomes charged with spiritual power because your aims and intentions will be one with the evolutionary impulse of the universe. I love that. What is, what is the evolutionary impulse of the universe? That is so great. Okay. Let's read that one more time. Yeah. Once that foundation, you, he says, fulfilling your primary purpose is laying the foundation for a new reality, a new earth. Once that foundation is there, your external purpose becomes charged with spiritual power because your aims and intentions will be one with the evolutionary impulse of the universe. Thank you, because I had written, aha, and did three little, I've read it three times, and I got <laughs> stars, circles, everything <laughs> around that. That's a great, thank you for bringing that up, Bob. Okay. What do you mean by that? Now, um, I'm not sending you back to the book, but the answer is somewhere in the book, So, but I'm not sending you there now. Okay. So let's look at it. <laughs> okay. The. Uh, the evolutionary purpose of the universe is the growth of consciousness. It's going towards something is flowing into this world of so-called matter, physicality. Something is flowing into this world of physicality or matter that comes from a different dimension, almost, one could say. Well, how do I know this? Because I know it in myself. Mm-hmm. And I know it, I've observed it in other people, too. Mm-hmm. Something is flowing into this world of this heavy, it seems to be very heavy, the heaviness of matter. Something very different flows in, which I call consciousness, mm-hmm. which you can call spirit. So a spirit is beginning, has already, started a long time ago, but now beginning more fully through the human form, amongst other forms, 
to come into this world more and more fully. This is the arising of awareness, the arising of presence. And all that is part of the greater evolution because there's a famous dictum, which is so true, as above, so below. So whatever happens here on this planet and in the human form will be reflected throughout the universe. These are universal movements, as above, so below, as below, so above. So there's a, what happens here in, micro, in the microcosm of the Earth will also be happening in the macrocosm. So when I say how people might ask me, how do you know what the purpose of, what the evol purpose of the universe is, the evolution of the universe is, because I know it in myself. It's, if you know it in yourself, you know many, many answers even about the macrocosm, because the macrocosm is no more than a reflection of the inner. And you see it all the time in nature. Yes. You see it all the time in nature. The whole process that's going on in nature is also going on with humans. Yes. If we compare ourselves to, to nature. Yes. Yeah, the principles are the same. Yes. Yeah. Did that answer your question, Bob? Kind of. No, don't. You have to, to really know the answer. You have to go within. It's not through the mind or through somebody like listening to me and then saying, okay, I believe what you said. I don't want anybody to believe what I said. I want people to, to really go within and verify within themselves whether or not that is true in their own experience. So by becoming more conscious of your inner being, okay. many answers will come. Okay, let me, let, me, let me take a stab at it, interpreting what I hear uh, Eckhart saying. He's saying that there is, you know, there's a universal source or power of energy that all of us, that, that we all stem from that universal power or source or energy. You're with me, right? And you can call it God, you can call it whatever you choose to call it, you can call it, you know, higher consciousness, or you can call it universal energy, you can call it the divine. When you tap into the part of you that is, we're calling consciousness, or presence, or inner purpose, when you tap into that, that is connected to the source of all universal power and energy. You with me so far? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And when you tap into that part of you that is connected to all universal power and energy, um, your aims and intentions will be one with what all universal power and energy is striving for. And what it's striving for is for you to allow the consciousness to come through you as a human being. So that's what he means by evolutionary impulse. The impulse of the universe is to support you and you bringing about your higher consciousness. That's why you're here, is to allow that part of you that is connected to all that is universal energy, the source or God. To, to, to better explain it, it is the God in you. When you allow the God in you to come forth, the God of all things supports that. Yeah. And you just gave yeah. us a demonstration of that because the whole energy shifted when you spoke those words. A very powerful energy came through 
So beyond what you said, mm -hmm. the energy that came through with it was actually a demonstration of that. Well, thank you. <laughs> Did it? Yeah. Good it. You got it now, Bob? Yeah. Can I ask one more thing? Sure, sure. Would there be a way to convey um, Eckhart's teachings on, on awareness to Christians who are probably offended by labels like evolution? Uh, is there a way to convey this message? Of the awakening without getting into the evolution. To people who are going to really shut down when they hear the word evolution. Well, if they are completely shut down, then of course there's no way they are going to listen to you. But not all those people are going to be completely shut down. I don't believe that evolution is necessarily a problem for all Christians. Yeah, an evolutionary process, the evolutionary impulse of the universe is about the evolvement as the Earth. I mean, because even as Christians, you know that the Earth keeps evolving. It keeps evolving. It keeps moving forward. We as human beings keep evolving. Uh, yes. You can see it in your own life. You can see it in you your evolve. own life. You're not the same as you were, you know, 25 <laughs> years ago. That is your evolutionary process as Bob yes. and Gwen here on the planet. Bob and Gwen have evolved yes. as Christians. Yes. And even as you are a practicing Christian in the beginning, of practicing Christianity, you're not, your faith may not be as strong or you, not be, you may not be as tested, but you evolve in the process of your, your Christianity. Actually, can you ask somebody in the back to bring me the email, Dean, from, that came in from a message board this week that I thought, the woman who talked about Father, Son, and Holy Ghost uh, as consciousness and that the, there was a beautiful email from, that, that came on the message board from a woman Who's, who's, you know, a practicing Christian who said that she was uh, Catholic. And um, I'm going to try to get the emails because she best, better, best. And I had, a, I had an aha moment reading it because I thought, oh, that's right. The Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit is the higher consciousness that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And you just call it consciousness. Mm -hmm. But as a Christian... It is the Holy Spirit, where Jesus said, I leave you yes. with the Holy Spirit. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. You see that, right, Bob? Mm -hmm. Oh, when? yeah. Yeah. It's just the use of that word sometimes puts some people off that might otherwise have the door to be awakened. And just knowing that word is in the book, they might just say, oh, I'm not quite ready to do that yet. Evolution. 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 So, well, yeah, I, I think it, it will particularly put people off who take a literal, to, uh, absolutely literal interpretation of Genesis. But yes. most Christians, I believe, don't take an absolutely literal interpretation of Genesis. And they would be. And perhaps, if you do, then that's not for you. Then no, this isn't, then this isn't fine. the path then you need to, no. to follow. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but if you're open to the idea that this the creation may not be literally true, but that there is actually, it's a description of an evolutionary process, not of blind chance. This is what Christians object to mostly, and I also see it, it's absurd. There is no, it's not blind chance. Evolution is not something of coming together over billions of years of atoms and molecules accidentally to bring about this beautiful universe. I do not believe that, that there is no guiding intelligence behind evolution. There is. Mm -hmm. 
that is so obvious when you look at the world and you look at yourself. You know the famous analogy of the monkey and the typewriter? No, I don't. Oh, <laughs> they say... <laughs> the famous analogy. Yeah, this is to do with... Uh, to describe what, what evolution means by people who believe it is blind chance. It's a mechanical, mechanistic thing that oh. how evolution happened. All chance events. That would mean if you put a monkey at a typewriter mm -hmm. and this monkey is uh, immortal and this monkey starts hitting the keys of the typewriter and goes on for a billion years or two billion years or longer, mm -hmm. they say if evolution as chance development is true, then eventually the monkey is going to produce by chance the works of Shakespeare <laughs> over a billion years. It, right. it's, it's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> I miss that monkey in the typewriter analogy <laughs> somewhere in my uh, college upbringing. But, but you see the... Yes, uh, I see it. Yeah, I see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he has the quote. Um, uh, Bob and Gwen, can we go back to them? This is from somebody named Button20. Did you see this last week? No. You don't see the message boards, do you? Um, actually, she's Joni in Long Beach, actually. Um, she said, my faith was strong... Oprah, 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 my faith was strong, but now it's growing stronger and stronger every day. The words of the Bible, she says, are just jumping out at me. How could I have not seen them so clearly before? Like, be still and know that I am God. I will not leave you alone. I will always be with you. This book, New Earth, uh, has put into words what I've always felt from within. As a Catholic, I can describe my faith very simply. It's based on the Holy Trinity, which is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's it in a nutshell. The rest of the Bible is just a history lesson as to how all that came about. To say it another way, God created the world, saw what a mess we were making, sent his son down to teach us how to live. Then Jesus said, when he knew he was going to have to leave us, I will ask my Father, and he will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, to be with you always, the Spirit of truth, which the world cannot accept because it neither sees nor knows it, because it remains in you and will be in you. John 14, 16. And here it is again, she writes, John 14, 26, 27. The Holy Spirit that the Father will send in my name will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you, do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. And you know what, Oprah? I got it this time when I read it. I really got it. People wouldn't be so afraid if they only knew that the energy flowing through their very being, which I choose to call the Holy Spirit, is the most fabulous wireless connection to the most powerful source in the universe, the God that created us. May God bless you and keep you safe in his grace. You're truly one of his messengers. And that's from Joni of Long Beach, California. And she writes, ends with, life is a gift, live every day as a thank you note. Very good. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. I mean, I just thought this was so fantastic. So I'm happy to share that with you. That's what, that's what one Christian had to say, okay? Thank you. It's very nice. I thought that was great, too. Joni of Long Beach. I almost Skyped her this week. I thought, isn't that perfection? Yes. I thought that Beautiful. was perfection. Beautiful. Thanks, Gwen and Bob. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Well, shall we continue here? You say your inner purpose is to awaken. It's as simple as that. You share that purpose with every other person on the planet because it is the purpose of humanity. 
So let's again talk about what it means to awaken. Doesn't the very word purpose imply that you can do something about it? Purpose means on purpose. That's right. I ask that question. You say you in... can't make it happen, that it is an act of grace, this awakening. Yes, and what I talk about is the, the first moment of awakening. It happens or it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. First moment, which is the disidentification from the stream of thinking and the arising. It might only be a glimpse at first. The arising of awareness. You're suddenly becoming aware that there is a realm underneath thinking. There's a realm of stillness inside you. Mm -hmm. You touch it. Maybe you're out in nature and suddenly, as you did when you were on the mountaintop. Oh, I had another one. You know what? Yeah. I had another one. Just um, Friday, and this is going to be on this Friday, but this past Friday I was at Tom Cruise's house. You know Tom Cruise. Not personally. But... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know he I jumped on your sofa. Oh, somewhere. you even know that. Okay. <laughs> you even know that. Okay. We're, we're going to talk about that. Now I'm jumping on his. I went to his house to jump on his. Anyway, um, Tom Cruise lives in the. I could cry just thinking about it. He lives in the most magnificent place I have ever seen read, heard, or experienced in my life. I, I tell you, I drove to, th through his house through this grove of aspen trees for like a half mile before we get to the gate. He lives at the top of the mountain, and he, the house sits in the center, and you're surrounded by all the mountains of Telluride. And we went outside through his bedroom to stand on the balcony, and there are all these aspen trees around, and the mountains, and absolute stillness. Absolute stillness. So much, I st my eyes started to water. I've never, I've never seen anything more beautiful or felt anything so deep, so, so rich. And um, aside from that time I was on my mountain, but I, 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 I and I, I said to him, first of all, what it takes to be the kind of person that comes to this, that, ha that has that as your space, and, you know, he's had a lot of, you know, things going on in his life. And I said, no matter what, you have this. You have, you have this place to come to, my God. How it just, and I felt so filled up when I left from the stillness. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. And we stood out on Tom's balcony and I said, Tom, can you hear the silence? It has its own language. And he said, yeah, you're right, it does. It has its own language. Was he already aware of it, or you yeah, he made was. Him... No, he was. Yeah. He was aware of it. He was aware of it. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. That was my moment with Tom Cruise. That <laughs> 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 you'll get to see. Now, when you see us see us on television this Friday, you you won't get all of that because it's all about the interview and stuff. But I had a, a spiritual moment with with Tom at the top of the mountain. Yeah. yeah. Well, these are wonderful moments of grace, mm -hmm. uh, but. Uh, you don't necessarily need, need to be in those beautiful places. It's a great, it's an act of grace when it happens. Yeah. But that stillness is primarily an, an inner dimension and it can arise anywhere. Mm -hmm. As, but sometimes it's good to have experience it there where the envir environment is most conducive to experiencing ultimately the inner, because if you don't feel it on the inner, you won't really be aware of, this, of the silence around you. That's right. It's only through the inner that you can be aware of the outer silence. 
So to, to be aware of silence, uh -huh. how, uh, how can you be aware of silence? Only by being still. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. it's only the stillness in you that is aware of the silence. If your mind were totally occupied with noisy thinking, you wouldn't even know it's still around you. Or you would say for a moment, oh, it's very still, and then you carry on thinking. Right. You wouldn't really experience it. So there's the, the equivalent of outer stillness. The, this is the outer dimension of spirit. Right. Say, is you, can, you can sense the spirit that's out there in nature but you can only sense it because you already have it within you. It's uh -huh. that in you that responds, that senses it. So only people whose mind is not totally noisy can actually be aware of silence. Mm. And so uh, I sometimes observe when I go, I will go for a walk in the forest every day, and often I see people who are jogging or walking their dogs, and very few are really there, mm -hmm. they're talking, they're talking on the phone, they have headphones on, uh, they're talking to their friends, and all their immersive thinking. So they could be thinking. anywhere. They could, could be, be anywhere, anywhere right. in the office. Right. Yeah. Um, someone asked, Eckhart, everything you say in your book resonates with my spirit, so I believe it to be true. However, do people ever ask you how you know all of this? If so, how do you respond? Where does your knowledge come from? This is Renee in Indianapolis. Well, that's Where does a... your knowledge come <laughs> from? How do you know what you know? <laughs> The essence of it comes through inner realization. In other words, it's by touching the consciousness that one is, that yes. you are. It comes through becoming still and listening for what comes out of the stillness. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not primarily based on knowledge, although, of course, I have read spiritual books, quite mm -hmm. a few. I use sometimes some of the terminology that is already in existence, has mm -hmm. been in existence for a long, long time. But the book is more than just a compilation of other spiritual books that I have read. The essence of the book is in my own realization. So in other words, the answers come by being still. When I write, I sit there with a notepad, a pen, and become still. Not on computer? No. Okay. Everything is done by hand. Mm -hmm. So I, and then I wait for some a movement of thought to come out of the stillness, mm -hmm. and then gradually a thought formulates itself, and then there is a critical faculty that says, "Okay, does that make sense?" Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. If it doesn't make sense, I become still again, and then perhaps a thought, a thought that is more suited to what I can sense comes up, and then I write it down. So did you write this book from the place of inner space? You know, last week we talked about inner space, and uh, I was a little frustrated until the end of the class, because I was trying to get this concept of inner space across to all of our uh, viewers and listeners. And at the end of last week's class, um, as we'd gone off the air here, Eckhart said, I said, I'm, I said, remember I said to you, I'm a little frustrated, yeah. and you said, because you cannot understand it through concepts and language, no. that inner space isn't something you can understand with your mind. No. So as an explanation, it's not very, it's not very satisfying when one talks about inner stillness and then people try to understand, okay, what's he actually talking about? And you can see already when you're in your head and say, inner stillness, what's, what's that about? Well, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make, of course it doesn't to the mind. Or people say, it's all that woo-woo stuff. Yes, yeah. that's what some journalists uh, often say. They come to spirituality and say, oh, it's all that stuff. Woo -woo, they woo -woo. don't give themselves a chance. Yeah. You really, it's, it's 
you have to give yourself a chance and see whether you can sense in yourself that to which these words point. Yes. So, and only then does it become real and alive. And that is the same thing we're saying to Bob and Gwen when Bob is trying to say, what do you mean by the evolutionary impulse of the universe? What that really means is that when you are in alignment, when your inner purpose is aligned with what you do, that you will be supported by the spirit of God or by universal energy in such a way that life opens up to you. And people think, oh, it's about you being lucky or gee, isn't that strange that this happened or mm -hmm. serendipitous things happen, things fall into line, yes. right, when you are in alignment. Yes, that they fall into line, that uh, one way or another, everybody can experience that, so why not give it a try? Live as if the present moment were more important than past and future. On a practical level, of course, you still use mm -hmm. past and future, but give your attention to this, spend some, a few days or a few weeks living in that way, immediately surrendering negativity when it arises and mm -hmm. recognizing it as ego-based or pain-body-based. Because all ego, all negativity is ego-based? Well, negativity loves ego. It's a denial of life. The mm -hmm. moment you identify with negativity, that's part of the ego. Mm -hmm. So experiment with, because you've lived in one particular state of consciousness for many years, Mm -hmm. Try something different and see what happens. And what happens primarily and first of all is an inner shift. And after a little time gap sometimes, it gets reflected in the outer realm also. But that's no longer the main thing because the main thing is already that you enter that state of peaceful, alive presence in yourself when mm -hmm. you're aligned with what is, aligned with the now. And that's what matters. The rest is the icing on the cake. When good things happen to you, it doesn't mean you now feel good because something good has happened to you. Something good has happened to you because you've already found the goodness within you. That's right. So you can only manifest that which you already are. Yes. Yes, you already are that. Whatever people are looking for, whatever form, they already are that. <laughs> They're looking for God, and I'm not saying that this form is God. I'm not saying that this person is God. I'm saying the essence, if you go deep enough within, there is a, a realm where you and God merge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's everybody's destiny and purpose to live from that place of connectedness. Yes, because the I am, the I am, is I am that which comes from God. Yes. I am that which comes from God. Yes. Laurie lives in New Brunswick, Canada, and she's Skyping us from her family room in St. John. Hello, Laurie. Hello, Oprah. Hello, Ecker. Hello. Welcome to Hello. our conversation here this evening. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. What do you want to say to us? I would like to comment on the dialogue on inner purpose that begins on page 262. Uh, there are parts of that dialogue, the, the parts that were written in italics, that could have been me speaking word for word. In fact, those were the reasons that I think I was drawn to the book in the first place. Um, I turned 38 this summer, and I've had two members of my immediate family uh, die in their mid-30s. So their deaths have left me very keenly aware of the immediacy of my own living and how 
how important it is for me to um, align my life, uh, however long it shall be, uh, with my inner purpose and to make sure that the relationships that I have with people, my husband and my children especially, are genuine and that I conduct my life from that place of higher consciousness. So my question is, I'm so aware of how important and precious every moment of this human experience is. I don't want to waste a moment of it on anger or resentment or disappointment. Some days I'm just more conscious than others. So I ask Eckhart, do you believe that two people can actually live in an intimate relationship with one another, either as partners or as parent, uh, parent and child, without wanting from one another? And do two people have to be at the same place in their spiritual awakening for this to happen? Thank you. Thank you. Good question. Now, when I say without wanting, what I mean, of course, is without saying, I want you. You are my property. I'm, you, you must not leave me, otherwise I will get extremely angry. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, it does, I'm not saying that you might not say to your partner, I want you to take out the garbage because I took it out yesterday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> On a practical level, there may be some wanting. Uh, so the question is, can two people live together without that deep psychological wanting that wants to cling to the other person, says, fulfill me or make me happy, don't you dare leave me? That, right, that is the, the question, but I would like to, um, change the question a little bit from can two people, because you cannot be responsible for somebody else, ask yourself the question, can I live with my partner or whoever without bringing in this unconscious energy of wanting, which comes from the ego? Can I live with the person like that, because it only requires really one person to go through this shift in consciousness. So only you can really answer the question, and it's not an abstract question, it's a question that you can only apply to the present moment to really answer it as an alive question rather than an abstract thing whether can people live in fully conscious together is an abstract question. A more powerful and a more vital question is, can I? And even that, not all my, for the rest of my life, not like that, no, How? now. So you bring, to, to find the answer, a vital answer that is true for you, you have to remember that question as, as you live, situations arise in your relationship, see, at this moment, can I be free of that egoic wanting and needing? And if you cannot be free at this moment of this egoic wanting and needing, and because you cannot be free, negativity arises, because the partner is not responding to the wanting and needing, or isn't even there, hasn't come home yet, whatever, yeah. <laughs> uh, then this is your chance again to be aware, as I meant to the other questioner a little earlier on, this is your chance to become aware of the ego in you as the wanting. Yeah. So even if the answer, can I be free of wanting, is no, obviously I can't because they're still wanting in me, <laughs> then at least you're able to recognize the ego, and that means how are you able to recognize the ego? You're becoming aware. And only when you dwell in awareness 
in your relationship, can you be free of those unconscious movements? Yeah, I think the wanting that you're talking about is wanting you to be a certain way to help fill me up. Yes. That's what he's talking about. Not in terms of practical, I need you to pick up the laundry, I want you to pick up the milk, I want you to... That's very different than I want you to be what I want you to be so that you make me whole. You know that whole, you know, Tom Cruise, as a matter of fact, Jerry Maguire line, you complete me. Wanting somebody yes. to complete you is what he's talking about, because nobody can. Yes, I think I misinterpreted that as being wanting, you know, wanting recognition from your spouse or wanting gratitude or wanting, wanting respect or things like that. And I, and I, I couldn't quite figure out how you live in an intimate relationship without wanting those things. And for me, in our, in our, we have a busy household. We have five little boys, all under the age of nine. There's always somebody wanting something around here. Where are you, in a uh, closed-off room somewhere? <laughs> With the door locked? I am, and it's also 10 o'clock, so okay. they're all in bed. Okay. <laughs> but for me, um, I think, and you've talked a lot about people having their own um, spiritual, spiritual practice, and I guess for me right now, it's um, it's living amidst the the chaos of the day and not getting mired down in the muck of the daily routine and being able to stay above that, being being unflappable, um, and and keeping that sense of inner peace even though it's a little bit chaotic <laughs> in the immediate surroundings. Yes. Right, with five uh, boys under nine. Yes. Oh my God. Well, it's a good a noisy house. Yeah, a good practice here is. Not wanting to be this moment to be different from the way it is. Mm-hmm. Just this moment. That's where you relinquish the wanting. That is the main relinquishment or letting go of wanting. Not wanting this moment, there's always this moment, to be different. So if the children are screaming and there's mayhem, that's what is. And then you deal with what is. But not the, the internal rejection of what is. Mm-hmm. So not wanting really deep down is not wanting this moment, this moment may come in the form of a person, mm-hmm. your partner, the children. At this moment, this is what is, and not wanting this moment to be different from the way it is. Then you are aligned, and then you act, you take action. You can tell them, stop doing that. But internally, you are free, you're not reacting internally. But what about what uh, Laurie was saying about wanting recognition, not just from your spouse. A lot of people, you do things and you want people to recognize that you've done, to be, you know, I don't know, admired or, you know, receive affection in your relationship. Is that your ego? It often is, but if you believe that the world is withholding from you, I say that somewhere in the book. Yes, you say it. Give what you think people owe you, give it, and then you see a reciprocal movement, not even necessarily from the very same people you're giving it to. Uh The universe reciprocates. If you give recognition, gratitude, whatever it is, you give it out, even to strangers. Recognition, a smile, giving, so there's a flow of energy flows out. Because what you give out, what you put out, is going to come back always. Always, always, always. That's a universal law. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you. Thank Thank you you for your moment of calm with the five boys. <laughs> I'm going to miss this on oh. Monday night. Well, thank this you very much. My, 
Is this your time for yourself? This is. Okay. Yeah, it's great. We, great. we work hard to carve out those moments of stillness around here. Well, we're going to continue with something we call the Soul Series on Monday nights. There's a great, great interview that I've done with uh, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. Her mind actually, as we mentioned last week, she lost the left hemisphere of her brain yes. through a stroke. Yes. And the right hemisphere is still working. So all of the chatter stopped. And yes. she was in bliss. And she said, even though I was drooling, I was drooling, I was in, she, she was in heaven. She was in bliss. Yeah. Yes, I, I haven't used the terms right and left hemisphere in the book. And I rarely use scientific mm -hmm. terms, but that is how she sees it. I think she's right. That's right. So the, the right hemisphere is to do with uh, unitive knowing, not yes. conceptual. She said she stillness. felt the connection to all things. Yes. Yeah. Yes. From the right hemisphere. Yes. So here we are, week nine, only one more class to go. And I bet so many people can relate to this. Many people, you say on page 262, who are going through the early stages of awakening are no longer certain what their outer purpose is. A woman from Milwaukee, Oregon, just wrote, can you still be 52 years old and be in the same place Ivy was at the beginning of this show, not knowing what you want to do? What drives the world, you say, no longer drives them. Seeing the madness of our civilization so clearly, they may feel somewhat alienated from the culture around them. So what do you do in this case? If you're at this point in your life where reading this book has shaken you up and you realize more than ever what you don't want to do, you realize, I have been on the wrong course. You realize yes. you have an awakening. Yes. Now what do you do? Yes. I'm all awakened. Yes. Now what? Well. The awakening, of course, is the realization of your inner purpose, primarily. Yes. Uh, so d don't come into conflict with where you are now or what you're doing now. If you cannot surrender to what you're doing now and be, be okay with it, at least bring acceptance, we talk about in the next chapter, mm -hmm. at least bring acceptance to whatever you're doing now so that you're okay with it, That's, that is vital, then you're in a state of clarity. You, you enter a state of clarity when you're no longer in opposition to your present moment, life, where you live or what you're doing. If you cannot surrender, if whatever you are doing continues to produce unhappiness in you, and no matter how hard you try, then of course it's a clear sign that you need to leave that situation. Right. So either you let go of the resistance and see if you can. And sometimes people say, no, I can't. But what they really mean is, no, I'm not willing to. Not willing to, which <laughs> so is very you, different. You need to see the difference between not being able to and not being willing to. So whatever applies to you, am I not willing to accept this moment or am I truly incapable of accepting this moment? If you find you're truly incapable of accepting this moment where you're doing your job or whatever you're doing, then it is a sign that it's time for change. Got it. Um, many times you will be able to uh, uh, have this energy flow into what you're doing already and transform how you do perhaps what you've been doing for many years in perhaps in a state of resistance. Uh -huh. And suddenly, how you do it changes. You're no longer doing it in a state of inner resistance. And then you bring a completely, ener completely different energy into what you do consciousness flows into what you do. And often, either this is deeply fulfilling and it affects many people around you, or it could also happen that, that now that you're no longer resisting what you do, change suddenly comes into your life. I got that. Uh, this is a beautiful quote from page 266. You say that the great arises out of small things. 
that are honored and cared for. Everybody's life really consists of small things. Greatness is a mental abstraction and a favorite fantasy of the ego. The paradox is that the foundation for greatness is honoring the small things of the present moment instead of pursuing the idea of greatness. Yes. It's that one step. That's right. So many people have this idea, I want to achieve something great, great. or be somebody great, and they neglect the step that leads to greatness. They don't honor this step at this moment because they have this idea of some future moment where they are going to be great. Right. And then it's surprising when you truly look at people, perhaps, who you would say have achieved great things, mm -hmm. that even in their life, it really is a, a sequence of small steps because every moment is quite small. You, you are wherever you are at this moment. Some people believe, not to mention you, some people believe I'm doing great work. I mean, I am because the consciousness is moving through this form. I don't feel personally responsible for what I do as mm -hmm. such. But even there, it is small steps. When the writing happens, there's a notepad and a pen, and there's the present moment, and there's the stillness. Very small. There's not some idea, I'm going to create a work that's going to change everybody's consciousness. No, I'm just true to this moment. What is mm -hmm. this moment requires? It's a blank piece of sheet of paper and a pen and the stillness. It's a small thing. Or when I give a talk, talk maybe 2,000 people come, Every, if I had this idea, I'm now going to give an important big talk mm -hmm. that would lead to stress and fear because maybe it's not going to be that great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but if you can be, st with every step being present, it's time to, the car comes to pick me up. If you step into the car, then I sit in the car, the car moves towards the venue where the talk is going to be. I look out of the window, simple. People walking past the tree, the sky, just this moment. Step out, step, sit in the waiting the green room to wait for the talk to start. Breathing, simple, nothing big, just a little moment, this moment, being true to that. Then step onto the stage, there's an empty chair, I sit in it, still, breathe. I know there's 2,000 people there, and I also know I have no, word, what, no idea what's coming out of the, going to come out of this mouth. Uh -huh. Being happy with not knowing, still, not big, it's all small. It's all a sequence of very small moments. And by being true to the small moment, something great arises. Yeah, and the biggest lesson from tonight is by being true to the small moments, by being true to this moment, it means to bring the sense of presence, the sense of consciousness to every single moment so that everything that you do is fueled from a deeper level than your ego. Everything you do is fueled from a deeper level than your thoughts. That everything you do is fueled from your being. And that is what gives meaning and purpose to whatever you do. Yes. That's the essence. Yes. Right. It's wonderful to see you when the power comes through, you talk. It's beautiful. The words are so true. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. As I said, next week will be our last class on A New Earth, the finale. But we don't want the discussion to end there. Please join me on Monday, May 12th, for the start of my Soul Series, just to continue this conversation for those of you who've been enjoying these uh, uh, webcasts here on Oprah.com. For the first time, we'll be broadcasting the videotape sessions of my um, 
XM radio show. It's where I get to talk to spiritual teachers. I've been doing that for a couple of years now. I talk to spiritual teachers, thinkers, and scholars about my favorite subject, the evolution of the soul. People like Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, Wayne Dyer, Elizabeth Lesser, John Kabat-Zinn, Byron Katie, uh, Sarah Bonbronick, uh, Kathy Freston, and others. So keep Monday nights at 8 p.m. reserved for Oprah.com. If you can, get away from the five noisy boys, whatever's <laughs> going on in your life. Tonight's class will be available on demand tomorrow for free here at Oprah.com. And if you want to download or watch any of our classes, you can do that tomorrow also at Oprah.com and iTunes. It's free because of the generous support of Nature Made Soft Gel Vitamins. This week, you can update your workbook and get ready for our last class, Chapter 10, A New Earth, How to Bring Awareness to Every Moment of Your Life. There really is no higher calling. Uh, we're going to go for two hours next week for, all of, for the benefit of wrapping up all the things we've been talking about these past 10 weeks. This was great. Yes. Thank you. This was a good class. Thank you. Good. We'll see you at number 10 coming up. <laughs> number 10. Bye, everybody. Thanks for your message boards. Jody and Long Beach. Wasn't this great?